This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. King Richard III, last Plantagenet ruler of England, was buried without ceremony after the Battle of Bosworth Field. His body was lost until 2011, when archaeologists found him resting peacefully underneath the parking lot of a social services building in Leicester. Today's episode of History Obscura has been presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you and me to monetize our podcasts. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so we always know how much we're going to get when we include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p. O-D-G-O dot C-O. Tell them History Obscura sent you. Hello and welcome once more to the History Obscura podcast. Tonight, I'm telling another tale of the Tudors that focuses on the life of the oft-overlooked Henry VII. When last your ears were with us, only one young man remained alive who could challenge the murderous usurper, King Richard III of York, for the throne of England. And it was Henry Tudor. It was with the support of France, many noble English families, and two dowager queens that Henry decided to build an army against York. He set out with his ships from France at the start of August... 1485, and arrived in Wales on the seventh day of the month. Wales, being the ancestral home of his father's family, Tudor found himself very welcome. He was so well-liked, in fact, that he persuaded King Richard's own appointees in South Wales to bear arms against the king and march eastward. As they moved towards the English capital, Tudor's followers grew in number. The opposing armies clashed, ultimately, at the Battle of Bosworth Field on the 22nd of August, 1485. Henry's forces included as many as 8,000 fighting men, while York's numbered as many as 12,000. To one side of the battle stood another 5,000 troops under the leadership of Henry's own stepfather, Lord Stanley. Traditionally a York supporter, Stanley was known to stand aside until a battle was well underway before choosing a side. Neither Henry nor Richard knew whether Stanley's troops would fight at all. By the time Lord Stanley made a decision, 
Richard III was close to losing the battle, and in desperation, he sidestepped the main fighting in the center of the battlefield and targeted Henry himself, safe among his guards some distance behind the fighting. Upon seeing the imminent threat, William Stanley finally signaled to his men to move in and save his wife's son. They successfully pushed Richard back, though the chronicles say he came within a sword's length of Henry. Richard's horse slipped and fell in the mud of the marsh, leaving Richard alone and on foot to fight back the press of Henry's guard and Stanley's men. There in the mud, a Welshman killed the king. The body of the last Yorkist king was stripped and brought to the city of Leicester so all could look upon it and see that Richard III was indeed dead. The victor of Bosworth Field proclaimed himself King Henry VII of the House of Tudor, thereby quite effectively ending the War of the Roses. To stabilize his rule among those nobles who had supported the York monarchy, he took former King Edward IV's daughter Elizabeth for his bride, officially uniting the houses of Lancaster and York. Henry's accession was full of symbolism, as he wanted all of England to be at peace in knowing that the family's murderous and expensive feud had ended. For his emblem, he combined the icons of both the Lancaster and York families to create a white and red rose. King Henry soon paid his respects to his step-uncle, poor Henry VI, by building a chapel at Windsor Abbey to hold the remains of the king who, by that time, most people overwhelmingly believed to have been murdered. Henry VII capitalized on the growing cult of Henry VI by allowing the publication of a book of miracles attributed to the dead king, which included more than 300 miracles supposedly performed by the last Lancastrian on the throne. Such miracles began to be reported as soon as the old king was interred in his tomb. One person claimed that the dead king had given life back to a girl who had died of the plague. Another said he had cured the badly infected lymph nodes of another girl. Notoriously, Henry VI was said to have protected the windpipe of a man sentenced to be hanged for a crime he didn't commit. The hanged man began breathing again as his body was carted away. The dead king's hat was placed in his chapel at Windsor Abbey so that Catholic pilgrims might touch it and put it on. The hat became a popular cure for people suffering from migraines. Of course, as all of this went on, the new King Henry got to work reorganizing England's administrative systems. He had not come into possession of a rich and stable country, after all. After 30 years of fighting, England was full of scars, many of which remain to this day. The kingdom's noble houses had been dragged through battle after battle, forced to question their traditional loyalties and watch, often very closely, 
as their family members died violently. Members of the feudal poor suffered in the same way, having had to constantly line up behind the owners of their land and fight. The population of the country was negatively affected, as were its basic industries. With able-bodied men away and fighting so long, the gardens and crops suffered, harvests were small, and the economy was crippled. As for Henry, the fact that so many different claims could be made, and successfully too, on the crown, revealed a fundamental flaw in the monarchical system. Because the lords of the land had so many people available to fight for them, it was possible for a member of the nobility to raise an army that was larger than the king's. In this strange reality, land workers owed their primary loyalty to the lord of the land, not the monarch. That was exactly how the York family, as extensive landowners, could persevere for so long and eventually triumph over Henry VI. But once Henry Tudor took the crown, he actively lowered the number of peerages, such as lordships and earlships, by appointing extremely few new noble titles. As the possessors of such titles grew old and passed away, Henry oversaw a decline in the power of the aristocracy. As he brought the most serious infighting amongst the nobility to an end, Henry began to turn his attention to important matters beyond England's shores. Like his predecessor, Henry VI, Henry Tudor wanted peace and prosperity for his kingdom. In the late 15th century, this meant directing his foreign policy towards Spain and France. The latter half of the 15th century was a tumultuous period on the Iberian Peninsula. The marriage of Isabel I of Castile and Ferdinand II of Aragon united Iberia's two most powerful Christian kingdoms and provided the framework for expansion. Isabella and Ferdinand were a power couple. In 1478, they conquered the Canary Islands. In January of 1492, they oversaw the conclusion of the Reconquista with the victory over the Emirate of Grenada, the last Muslim kingdom in Iberia. Later that month, they funded Christopher Columbus's voyages to the West, the first steps towards the creation of a massive Spanish empire in the Americas. Henry VII wanted to cement a positive relationship with the new Kingdom of Spain as soon as possible. So in 1489, he entered into an agreement with Isabella and Ferdinand that saw their eldest daughter, Catherine of Aragon, married to his oldest son, Arthur Tudor. Confused? I'll clear it up for you soon enough. Thanks for listening. And I do seem to have run out of tea. Perhaps you'd spot me one? Links in the show notes. Good night. Good night.